So good to see you this morning and to hear the confession that we have made of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom we worship and adore. And as I was singing that, I was thinking how rich it is to know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's great to see you guests. Glad to have you here. We hope you use that tab to communicate with us and to let us know of your presence today as well as all the others who are in the room. Communicate with us through that tab. Johnny Parker's been our building superintendent for 10 years. I'm grateful for that man. He's not in the room today. But uh, yeah, make sure you let him know how much you appreciate him choosing to minister and serve and use his gifts through the Church of Jesus Christ in the work that he does here that is so important to us. Today I'm going to a favorite passage of mine again, Hebrews chapter 12, maybe a favorite passage of yours. Does anybody have that memorized, Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, or a section thereof? All right. I don't see anybody who's got that memorized. Well, I memorized it in the King James Version, but we're going to do it in the NIV this morning, all right? Now, uh, we sang that we believe in God the Father, we believe in Christ the Son, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Peter says it is through Christ that you believe in God. He said through him we believe in God. Now think about that for a minute. For Peter... His belief in God happens through Christ Jesus the Lord. And for a lot of us, that's how we would say it as well. We believe in God through Jesus Christ. We are anchored in Christ himself. Christ is the highest and greatest revelation of the character and nature of God. And so we believe in God through Jesus. It's through him. That we believe in God. Now, the book of Hebrews starts out with this magnificent statement about the supremacy of Christ, and the theme of the book really is how Jesus is better than anything that's come before. And so we get to chapter 12, verse 1, where the text says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's verse 4. I want to throw that in, okay? <laughs> when my son Joshua was little bitty, he was riding in the car with me, and I heard him trying to do something, and he says, Dad, can you whistle? I said, yeah, Josh, I can whistle, and I whistled him a little tune. 
He said, when I grow up, I want to whistle just like you. He was fooling around a little bit later and uh, looked over and said, what are you doing? He said, Dad, can you snap your fingers? I said, yeah, and I snapped my fingers a few times. There it is. And he said, when I grow up, I'm going to snap my fingers just like you. It was a moment for the dad, okay, <laughs> to realize this boy's watching me. And sure enough, he grew up to whistle and snap his fingers better than his papa. (laughs) They would be surprised to know, you know, that their fathers are not completed and perfected. That they're on their way too. But we fix our eyes on those who love us and whom we love. And we become like them. You have magnificent potential. If God can unleash all that is in you for his sake and his glory, the things he can do through you. But you have to grow toward the light. That's how you blossom. All plants bend themselves toward the source of the light. I saw this Easter lily under, uh, near Rebecca's apartment, and I was surprised by it. There it is. Look how that plant has grown. It's under that canopy and those stairs, and it just grew sideways. Why was it doing that? It was seeking the light. You're going to blossom if you grow toward the light. People make the mistake of aiming their lives toward the darkness. I mean, they they just assume that darkness is the ultimate reality of the world, that pain and suffering is what life's all about, and they bend their life toward that dark place. And I'm going to encourage you to do something else, okay? I want you to bend your life toward the light, which is Jesus, okay? Now, these Christians to whom the author writes are experiencing persecution. It's a tough time to follow Jesus. You might think of them like Christians in the Muslim world where religious liberty is not tolerated and people are persecuted for the faith. There are many places in the world where people still experience persecution and even death if they follow Jesus. And these folks that are originally reading these words, they live in a world where followers of Jesus are not well received in culture and society. And some of them are getting tired and weary like we do too. And some of them are losing heart. That phrase to lose heart is actually used seven times in the New Testament to describe a possibility that could happen to you. You could actually lose heart. And so the author of Hebrews, combating this sense that too many Christians are losing heart, too many of them are stepping aside, too many of them are quitting in the work God gave them to do, he is challenging them in this text. And he says, look, 
I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. If you're sinking, if you feel like you're losing heart, like you're at the end of your rope, like you're about to quit, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus is the exemplary human being. We say that Jesus lived without sin. There are two things about that. One of them is he never did anything that was contrary to the will of his Father. To ascribe to Jesus moral perfection is to say of him that he never did anything outside of the will of God. But also, number two, he never omitted anything that was the will of God for him to do. Which astonishes me. Both of them astonish me, but that Jesus fully completed the will of the Father in his life. So there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. Everybody else is broken and polluted. Everybody else has flaws and failures. Everybody else has fallen down. Everybody else needs rescue except for this one stellar human being, Jesus of Nazareth who lived his life completely, surrendered to the will of the Father in every step, in every way. Isn't it amazing that we have him? And so the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus as the brightness of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's why we look to Jesus. That's why we want to fix our eyes on him. We want to grow toward the light, the brightness of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. Now, there are lots of places you could look in the life of Jesus if you were to fix your eyes on him, and all of them are good. All of them are wonderful. But when your knees are weak and when your hands are limp, And when you feel like you're about to exhaust all your resources and you're discouraged, there is a place you can look in the life of Jesus that more than any other provides the strength that you need. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured this contradiction and opposition from sinners. In other words, fix your eyes on Jesus as he dies. I've enjoyed having the cross in the middle back here. We had it at the, at the baptistry for a while and we put it out on uh, Palm Sunday and it's, it's been fun to uh, see it up there and be reminded of the centrality of the cross. There are churches where the cross is above the preacher. Have you ever seen that? There's a cross suspended above the preacher, so he always preaches under the cross. Some famous preacher, I think it might have been Spurgeon, advised all preachers to always swing their message around the cross. Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. 
Over and over again, he's talking about the death of Jesus. And here in chapter 12, he is holding it up as an exemplary event in the life of the most exemplary of all human beings. Here in the moral perfection of Jesus, you find this moment when if you look at him, you can see the qualities of character that God is producing in you and that he wants to develop in you. So I got to looking at the cross and Jesus as he dies and asking the question, what do I see here? What do I see here in the death of Christ? And I want to mention four things this morning that I see, okay? Because I have limited time. I sat down last Sunday after the message, and Christy says, you have anything you want to say? And I said, about a thousand words. <laughs> so, four things, okay? First one, I see courage in Jesus as he dies. The French word for courage is more at heart. Don't lose heart. So you need courage. Some of you, that's exactly what you need. It's interesting that all cultures, no matter what their ethical system is or religious ethics, they admire courage. It's well spoken of. The courageous become our heroes. When I thought of this, I thought of Joseph Bovier, who gave his life as a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And I often think of him as he stepped out to lead his team and was gunned down by a sniper. It was his fourth tour of duty. He, he volunteered for it. Courage. Do you see that in Jesus as he dies? Let me give you a crossly definition of courage. The willingness to refuse the easy way out. Okay? What I see in Jesus as he dies is his willingness to walk the hard road because it is the right road. So, you grow and weary and about to lose heart, fix your eyes on Jesus as he dies and you will see the courage that God wants to develop in you to do what is right even though it's costly. To hold what you know to be true, even though it's difficult. To carry forward with your call and the commitments that you've made. I see courage in Jesus as he dies, and I know God wants to produce that in me. I think about Brett and Allison. They don't have to live in Africa they don't have to experience the danger 
that they experience. They're exercising a courage that we admire because of a call that God has given them. God is seeking to produce in you courage. I want, I want you to ask the, the question of yourself. Am I courageous? Am I acting courageously in my school, in my work, in my family? Is God developing courage in me? To see courage in Jesus as he dies. And then to fix my eyes on him and say, Lord, develop this in me. Is a prayer that I might become more like the one who gave his life for me. Second thing I see in Jesus as he dies, I see compassion. The willingness to think of others even though you are in pain. That's how I would describe crossly compassion. If I look at Jesus as he dies, I see compassion in him, but it's a cross kind of compassion because he's in great pain as he dies. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. He's losing blood. He knows that he's going to die on this cross. And what's he doing? He's taking care of his mama. He's taking care of his friend John. He's talking to these thieves on the cross next to him. He's praying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When I see Jesus hanging on the cross, I realize he's caring for people around him even when he's dying. He's worried about them. Not every human being does that. When you get in pain, and these original readers of the letter of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, they might have been experiencing the pain of losing their goods, of losing their place in society as they became Christians. Sometimes when you experience pain, it turns life inward. And your pain shouts for attention and you feel like you're the one in pain why isn't somebody taking care of you and pain has the potential to collapse your life upon itself so that all of a sudden your life is all about this hurt that's happened to you and you have a hard time seeing anything else and noticing other things. I mean, it makes you blind sometimes, this pain that is needling at your heart and your soul. It makes you blind to the, the needs and hurts of others. And one of the things I've discovered again this week, in fact, I discovered on Sundays as I just walk through the church and see people, is this. Everybody is dealing with pain. Everybody hurts. And the idea that I hurt more than others is probably not true. You hurt maybe more than some others and less than others, but everybody deals with pain. 
Everybody in the room now has pain in their life, sorrow in their life, trouble that has come, heartache, broken relationships. All those things happen to us. And we're going to have to learn how to have compassion and express it even when we are in pain. Even though I'm hurting God, I want you to use me today for your glory. You see Jesus hanging on the cross. You fix your eyes on him. You're watching him as he dialogues with the thieves, as he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, as he cares for his mother and he cares for his friend. And you think, it's amazing that he can be thinking of them at this time. Our pain usually loves company. (laughs) We've had a bad day. We get home from work. The place is a mess. The husband is not taking care of things like he should have. And we've had a tough time. And we're walking on little goldfish crunching under our feet. And we want somebody to join me in my pain, all right? I'm distressed. Nobody knows all the pressures I have at work. And I get home, and there's just more stuff to do. And I want to invite other people into my pain. I want people to share it and pass it around. Something about Jesus as he dies on the cross invites me to a different perspective. Invites me to a walk where I'm loving other people, even when I'm hurting. And realizing that everybody hurts, I am liberated from the domination of my own pain. So that God can use me in the lives of people around me. Not only despite my pain, but in part because of it. That my own pain is a teacher. And it draws me closer to the Savior. It helps me understand his own suffering. And in so doing, if I am faithful, it makes me more like him. When I look at the cross, I see compassion. When I look at you, I see compassion. I see busy people who every week go to a place called Rivard, not because it's easy to give up every Wednesday night, but because there are teenagers there who need to hear God's word and need to know somebody cares about them. When I look at you, I see compassion. People who go to the nursing home, though nobody there is a relative, They're all initially strangers, but after a few weeks, they know everybody's name and they hug their neck when they arrive and they love on them. That's compassion. And I see it in you and I know that Christ is developing you in this quality of character. Don't Don't push down your compassion. All right? 
the good Samaritan had compassion on the fellow that got beat up. That's the translation in some versions. We want to have compassion. We want to be wise with our compassion. I had someone ask me, when are you going to preach that sermon about how helping can turn into enabling bad behavior? And I said, well, you may have to figure that out. <laughs> All right? But we don't, we don't suppress compassion for fear that compassion will do us wrong or will be taken advantage of. We want to let the compassion flow. It is love. We want to let the love flow. We want to be wise in our love, strong in our love, true in our love. We don't want to be enabling bad behavior in our love. We don't want to be hurting those we're seeking to help. But we don't fix that by stopping the fountain of love and compassion in our heart. We want to let, let that flow more and more. We want to grow in love. When you look at Jesus on the cross, you see great love, the greatest love. Jesus himself said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. I can't see that statement in John 15 without thinking of Jesus dying on the cross for we who are his friends. This was great love. Great compassion. As Jesus dies upon the cross, oh Lord, let it flow in me. Open up the fountain of compassion in me. Don't let me stifle or suppress the impulse to love so that I may become more like you. Another quality of character I see in Jesus as he dies is commitment. A commitment to the dying point. Now, I think every generation looks back on the young, younger generation and says, they're just not committed. I know the older generation did that with we baby boomers who grew up in the 60s. You know, we didn't have any commitment. It was a long time ago when B.J. Thomas sang that song, Whatever Happened to Old Fashioned Love? The kind that would see you through. The kind of love that my mama and daddy knew. Whatever happened to that old-fashioned love? Well, it got beat up by some things. Our mobility, we move around a lot. We make short-term relationships and sometimes short-term commitments and we're not willing to, willing to make those longer-term commitments, realizing how life changes. So many things that we buy and purchase have sort of a built-in obsolescence. And maybe we build that into our lives too so that we see our lives as going through all different kinds of stages and a long-term commitment feels fearful to make. Jesus on the cross is a picture of commitment to the dying point. I'm committed all the way till I die 
and I'm committed even if it kills me. And the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus as he dies upon the cross. And remember, you're not dead yet. You have not yet resisted unto blood in your striving against sin. That's verse 4. That's why I wanted to include it. you got a ways to go, all right? So I challenge you to a commitment that is a pledge sealed in blood. A commitment to Christ that you will hold no matter what, no matter where, no matter who, no matter how life unfolds for you, that this for you is a commitment to him who committed his life for you and that you will do for Jesus what he has done for you in making this full commitment to the dying point upon the cross. So fix your eyes on Jesus if you're getting weak and losing heart. And make sure that your commitment is akin to the commitment he's given to you. Another thing I see as I look at the cross is perseverance. I see a willingness to stay faithful in isolation. When you think about Jesus dying on the cross, there's this solitary figure hanging on the tree. And the disciples have basically all run away. And the soldiers are there. And Jesus is basically alone as he dies. If you stay committed to Christ throughout your life, you're going to see people drop off. The Hebrews, uh, the, the letter of Hebrews is written to people who saw that. Some of their Bible teachers quit on them. When the persecution came, they caved in. They stopped being part of the fellowship. When folks started giving social resistance to the gospel and following Jesus and, and started saying, you know, that's, that's something you shouldn't do. And, and they started paying a social price as well as an economic price for following Jesus, some of them quit. And you can read uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and there have a description of the struggle they had about what does it mean when somebody who said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, no matter what, seems to quit. And if you follow Jesus your life long through, you're going to see people quit on you. And it's going to shake you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. People that you admired. People that you respected. People that you thought were as committed as anybody could be. And they quit. They sat down on the sidelines. And right now, they don't have any public identification with Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews almost equates faith with perseverance. It's almost like trusting in God, having faith in Christ is really you persevering through the hardships, through the difficulties, through the storms, through the betrayals, through the pain, through the sorrow. You stay true to the one who stayed true to you.
And sometimes you're going to do that feeling all by yourself in it. Because you may well be the only person at your work or in your class at school or in your social circle who is really committed to Christ Jesus as Lord. Are you willing to continue to identify with the Savior when it seems like you're the only one? When I look at the cross, I see in Jesus a faithfulness even when he's alone. Some of you have moved to the big city. And back home in the little town, you were part of the church and you were a big part of the church and the church was a big part of your life. And you stayed faithful, you read your Bible, you prayed, you sought to follow Christ and then you came to New Orleans. You came for school, you came for work and you felt drawn away from the church and life got busy. And today, when you think about the ideal time in your Christian life, when you felt really committed and faithful, you don't think about now. You think about back then. You think about some other era when Christ was more on your mind and heart and you were more fixed on Him. You think back to a previous time in your life. And let me tell you, I'm glad I have those highlights in my journey. But I stand convicted. If I'm not who I used to be as a faithful follower of Jesus, I stand convicted by the cross, by the Savior who hung up and died for me, if I fix my eyes on Jesus, the brightness of God's glory shining back on me highlights my own unfaithfulness to Him. And so I have this cry welling up in me, Lord, don't let me be less than what I once was for you. Help me to be at maximum faithfulness, living my life out in your glory and for your sake every day in every way. The Savior who rescued you so many years ago today deserves your all, your best, your fullest and your finest. When I look at the cross, I see Jesus persevering right up to the end even though he's by himself and I see perseverance in you I see some of you who have made a commitment and you have stayed with it come what may for all these years I see Bible teachers who for decades have continued to teach God's word and Come to the class week by week and year by year and yes, even beyond that into decades and you have made this commitment to Christ and you have persevered through difficulties and hardships and when other people quit, you didn't. And I tell you, in your perseverance, you're looking like Jesus to me.
for the call Jesus gave you to follow him was never supposed to be a sprint. It was always a marathon. It wasn't just for a moment. It was for a lifetime. I don't know what you're focused on. Sometimes other things become the center of our emotional focus. And suddenly what really consumes our energy, our emotional energy, our mental energy, are things that are extraneous to us, things that happen to us, situations and circumstances, and those become our consuming focus. Here's what I would challenge you to do today. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Once again, get back to the brightness of God's glory, to the exact representation of his nature. Watch him as he dies. And let this be for you. God's message of courage in the midst of trouble, of compassion in the middle of pain, of commitment beyond your own strength, and of a perseverance that goes all the way to the dying point. Bow with me, please. Lord, we come so grateful for the grace that covers all our sin. Lord, thank you that your grace is greater than our failure. Lord, thank you that you continue to love us and your loving kindness is better than life to us, God. And We embrace that. We receive that. Even now, Lord, as we acknowledge the shortcomings of our, our courage and commitment and compassion and perseverance. And God, we, we pray that you would help us wrench our gaze from the things that scream for attention and turn it to the one who alone can provide us strength for the day. So God, we pray that right now you would help us turn our eyes toward you and fix our eyes upon you. And Lord, that you would find in us a willingness for you to do your work. God, work on us. Work on us now by your Holy Spirit. Convict us, shape us, and make us the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.